0: Welcome to Campfire Football. Woohoo! Look, I gotta say, I'm sorry. Pardon me if that was a little bit tough on your ears. If you are wearing headphones, I promise I didn't mean to do that, but... The round of 16 is complete in both the Champions League and the Europa League. And my goodness, were we treated to a feast on Thursday. That was incredible. I'll get to the Europa League in a little bit. I'll start with the Champions League and and what where we got to out of that what's coming and honestly i mean this is this was a great week of football this was one of the reasons why i just love it so much um we just got everything we got a little bit of everything this this uh round of 16 in the champions league was fascinating overall the picks that i made i went five for eight so it's not bad not bad uh i I got i got juventus wrong i got dortmund wrong. Uh, and uh, who was the other one I got wrong? Let's see. That's right, it was Dortmund. Oh yeah, and I thought Atalanta would beat Real Madrid, so I'll get that to that in a minute. But, here. but first, let's start with Chelsea against Atleti, go to Madrid. Chelsea finish off what I think was a really underwhelming Atleti. A uh, really disappointing... Scenario, I think there were people on ESPN FC, they were talking about the game saying, did Atleti even know what the score was? Like it looked like they were like hanging on for the draw. Yeah, it was a little bit weird. I do have to say Chelsea were very, very lucky Aspilicueta was not sent off and Atleti given a penalty in the first half of that game. If that happens and it's 1-0, you know, I mean, that's 60 more minutes of Atleti with a player advantage, uh, an away goal. So who knows what would have happened if the tie went from there. But the truth is that that was one of the only moments over the course of the 180 minutes that Atleti could really look at and go, oh, we almost had him. Joao Felix was their only real performer. I thought yesterday, you know, created a few opportunities, created a few openings, but he was the only one doing much. And I got to say, he is a player who, oh, he's so talented. Goodness, I, 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 I Part of me wonders if Simeone really is going to be the manager there next season because it's becoming a common narrative that they just they don't seem to just go after teams. They, they didn't really press Chelsea at all, and it made it easy. Now, I will say, Chelsea didn't just have an easy day. Mateo Kovacic was excellent, but Angolo Kante was imperious. Okay, I've been saying it for a while. He's my favorite player in the world. Now, I know that he's not Mbappe, he's not Neymar, he doesn't score goals, he's not Leo Messi, I understand. But what N'Golo Kante is, is so supremely unique that when he has a game like this, you can't even take your eyes off a holding midfielder. You know, he's the one that you see as a star. I mean, it's incredible for a player to be so understated, so quiet in a way, not go and run through tackles all over the place, but just diffuses one situation after another everywhere and then has the lungs to do even more. He had 13 ball recoveries in the game. That's the most any Chelsea player has had since him in 2018 against Barcelona. He had 97 touches, 71 passes came from those, 88% completion rate. Four times he dribbled around opponents. And two interceptions, which is actually not very much for N'Golo Kante on a day. Normally he intercepts a lot more. But it goes to actually show how how much of a beast he just really is in every way. And then watch a replay of the last goal. The second goal, he makes a sprint from the top of the box all the way to the top of the other one and zooms past Christian Pulisic like he's on a moped and just creates the space, creates the run that 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 forces Atleti players to be in a 3v2 situation, not be able to pick up Emerson, ball goes to him, great finish. The other thing I want to mention about this Chelsea match is there really does seem to be a very good team spirit that has developed since Tuchel came in. Uh, Perhaps it does look better than it did under Lampard. I mean, Thiago Silva yesterday was up in the, on the stairs in the bleachers, basically coaching from there. And then when Emerson scored, it was him and Mason Mount and Jorginho just hugging each other, celebrating. And you get this feeling like Chelsea really believe in something right now. They're a team that no one's going to want to play against. So who knows? Who knows what they can accomplish? Now, uh, on the N'Golo Kante, I just want to mention, if, if you watch the videos, you can see he's in a in a, in a a portrait behind me here. And uh, I just want to mention something about this frame. It's a hilarious story, but my girlfriend gave me a painting that one of her clients, who's a really, really wealthy man who does his own little still life paintings, he gave her a painting of some still life fruit in that frame. She gave it to me. I popped the thing out and stuck N'Golo Kante in it because I was like, Come on, it fits and also it's a nice gold frame. Turns out that thing's worth 750 bucks. Well, you know what? Good. And Golo Conte is the only one fit for a $750 frame, in my opinion. Thank you very much. All right, moving on. Real Madrid against Atalanta. Again, some disappointment, right? Like I think if you're an Atleti fan or you really maybe you're a Joao Felix fan or something, you were just disappointed by the limpness that you saw in the display. At- Atalanta just looked just like they didn't really know what the best plan of action was. Should we wait? Should we sit in? Should we hit them on the break? Real Madrid have too good of a midfield for you to be passive. Luka Modric controlled the game. He's got Tony Kroos and Casemiro by him. Actually, Casemiro wasn't even in the game. I think he's suspended. But it was just too easy for Real Madrid to control the midfield. And I think the only reason why is Atalanta didn't play their game. They weren't front foot. They weren't pressing that hard. They allowed Real Madrid to come to them. And once Real Madrid feel like they have control of a match, efficiency wins out. They've got Benzema, Ramos, Asensio gets a late goal. But I think man of the match, Luka Modric, he's absolutely outstanding. He does it every single game. I didn't look up his stats because honestly, they don't matter. I mean, I'm sure he's got, he posted great stats, but it's all the subtle work he does that I, I think was a huge part of this. But really, I think the story for me is Atalanta just didn't do what we hoped. We hoped that they would just come out and be like, we got nothing to lose, we lost the first leg, we don't like the red card, we're coming out, ball's out, it's Real Madrid, whatever, let's go for it. And it didn't feel like that, and so disappointing for that to end the way it did. That was one of the picks that I got wrong. I really hoped Atalanta would show something, and it's just a sad way for them to just kind of limp out. Bayern against Lazio, City against Gladbach, those were formalities, maybe even from the very start, but there were never surprises that looked like they were going to come. I'll say this Phil Foden kid's actually pretty good. He's a pretty good football player. I could definitely see him starting for England. Uh, he, He is outrageous. And so anyone who thought Pep Guardiola's An idiot for not playing the kid. Well, look at the way he's managed him now. The kid, You just don't even know what position he's supposed to be best at. What is he, an attacking midfielder, a winger, a center forward? He can now do everything because of the way he's learned such exceptional positional play under Pep. So, yeah. Five for eight. That wasn't bad. We'll see how we do with the next draw. Hey, the draw came out this morning. So let's talk about it. Man City have Dortmund. Look, it's hard for me to think that Dortmund are going to get through this, but they do have a ringer in Erling Holland, And the question is, can can, uh, Ruben Diaz, John Stones, Laporte, whoever's in that central defensive area, can they handle him? That's going to be the question. The other question is, can Dortmund keep City from dominating possession? Probably not. But also scoring three, four goals over the course of the tie. I'm not sure. What I'm hoping is that this is the goal fest. This is the goals galore tie. Because it's it's it, it seems like it's going to be very good. Bayern PSG. Look, as much as I would love to think that PSG are going to do something great. Get some revenge. Neymar might be back by then. You know, Kylian Mbappe is still doing great. He's a star. But you're kind of clutching at which people are going to make the difference for PSG and for Bayern Munich you're like well I don't know I mean their whole entire starting lineup or two or three of their bench players that can come on and make a difference so I think it's just more that Bayern have the most amount of tools I just think they're a better side than PSG Pochettino hasn't been able to really get this going in the direction he wants so I got to go with Bayern. Porto against Chelsea yeah I'm a Chelsea fan and so when I saw this of course I was like well that's nice Okay, it's the Champions League quarterfinal. You can't take anything for granted. Porto did knock out Juve, but Juve were poor. They were really bad. So the way Thomas Tuchel's going with this Chelsea side, I do think it looks unlikely Porto will get more than a goal over the course of the two legs. Then it comes down to Chelsea being able to attack. My opinion, this is uh, Oli Giroud time. This is when you bring on the man that's going to make sure he stabs away a couple very key goals because it could be very tight. But Chelsea just have to really outlast Porto and outscore them, not too much, I would imagine. All right, Real Madrid, Liverpool. This one definitely pretty tasty. Uh, can we all enough enough with this revenge talk? I see it on. I mean, everyone's people asking Club, do you want revenge for that night um, when you guys lost to Real Madrid in the Champions League final? I mean, if I were him, I'd be like, Do you know what happened one year later? We won the Champions League. I don't need to exact revenge on Real Madrid. It's a, like whatever, right? I I just, look, pros don't see it that way. I don't think the coaches see it that way. Sure, there's a little bit of a chip on your shoulder, but you're not fueling. Revenge is not what is fueling you to go into the game. You will have the wrong mindset. You will probably not play with the right level of calm and mix mix of calm and intensity and then make a, make a mess of it, especially against Real Madrid. You cannot go at this team, balls out. You will fail. They're too efficient. They're too comfortable suffering. That's the thing about Real Madrid. They don't blow teams out in La Liga at all. They seemingly suffer through all their games, but they do it quite well and efficiently. And They don't seem to be that uncomfortable in that position. So, look, I I think it's going to come down to the midfield. I don't think that Liverpool's central defense can handle Kareem Benzema at the moment. And I think if Modric, Cruz, and Casemiro are the ones playing in there, there's no Jordan Henderson. I don't think that even if you've got Fabinho in there, Naby Keita, Curtis Jones, Gigi Wijnaldum, good players. But I don't think that they'll have the dynamism and just tactical nous to really deal with what I think is probably the best midfield trio in the world right now at Real Madrid. So I'm going to go with Real Madrid, Chelsea, Bayern, and Man City to make to the semifinal. I know that the semifinal is already laid out. That would mean City would play Bayern and Chelsea would play Real Madrid. But I'm not going to make calls on that because, let's face it, what the squads are looking like and what form looks like going into then, it does matter. So I'm just going to go ahead and pick who's going to go to the semifinal first. and We'll address the next part later. All right, I I wooed at the beginning of the episode all loud because of the Europa League. Because, my goodness, tell me this is a bad competition not worth watching. Really? Really. I mean, if you watched the games yesterday, if you followed what was going on, and if you have at different points throughout the Europa League, especially since the knockout round started, there's been so much good stuff to watch. Big surprises, big performances by players. Also, one cool thing about the Europa League is you're actually getting a window into who the upcoming stars of the future are. Some of the biggest names that we know in football were really knocking on the door when they won a Europa League. I mean, Radamel Falcao is a great example. What he did with Porto and then went to Atleti and did the same thing. Then everyone was like, this guy's a star, right? There's players who put in performances over the recent weeks. They're on the map now they may very well be transferred to big clubs this summer they may very well get get big opportunities and i think it's it's really cool to see smaller clubs from smaller leagues show that football in some country in in around the world is is good and there's quality teams everywhere so uh in my picks i actually did really well i went 6 for 8 here um the only two i got wrong were Dino Zagreb against Spurs and Slavia Prague against Rangers. I I picked Spurs and I picked Rangers and I got both of those wrong. And you know what? I'm absolutely stoked about it because what happened to send the games into these situations? I mean, the, the incredible, incredible games. Uh, so the Brits are falling, right? Uh, Arsenal and United are the only ones left. Arsenal, they've got a chance at winning this. Maybe not great. United's pro United are probably the favorites. so uh, you know, but I gotta say seeing Rangers and Spurs who both I think would have considered themselves genuine contenders gone for teams that you would have absolutely thought would have been out by now in the competition already, this is really really impressive. So I'm going to start with Rangers against Slavia Prague because this was mental. First of all, it was 1-1 in the first leg. And, you know, similar to the situation against Leicester where Slavia Prague got the draw at home and then they went away and won. And they were the better side against Leicester. Really put them to the sword. Uh, Peter Oyelinka, again, um, scores a great, great header. And then Kevin Roof, oh, my God, tries to... Almost decapitates the poor goalkeeper. So now they're down a goal, down a man. And then foul at the top of the box. Well, about 5, 10 yards out of the box. Second yellow card for Balagoon. They're down to nine. A goal down. It looks over, right? Looks totally over. Meltdown has happened. And then this god man the self-destruction of rangers holy crap wow holy cow what a goal by slavia prague what the hell oh the icing on the cake man my god man your next podcast is about to be so freaking awesome holy crap dude this is awesome Spectacular reaction from my friend Jesse, who he sent this to me live while he was watching. You just got to love that, really, that little clip. I, I thought it was too great. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Slavia Prague, really impressive. have dumped out both Leicester and Rangers. And we'll get to who they play next in, in just a minute. But I do want to mention Dina Zagreb against Spurs. This was astonishing. I mean... I started watching a different game. I think I was watching Rangers Slavia Prague at first just to see where that would go. Because I felt Spurs had it kind of on lock. As soon as they went a goal down, I switched the game, saw Orsich's first goal, the opener, and was like, Oh, well, this should get interesting because one more goal over the course of this game, and we're going to extra time. And after watching for three, four minutes, I could tell Spurs did not look good. And there was a genuine chance that this game could really drag out and go as far as it ended up going. But Mislav Orsic, my man, wow, you are a baller. Wearing the 99 shirt, score a hat trick on that stage of that quality. Um... And I mean it just everything about the way he scores the hat trick is terrific. He gets a goal in extra time. It's a bomb. He dribbles through four people to get there. The first goal is a spectacular curler, the second one's just a great finish inside the box. Um this is the type of story that gets a player noticed. I mean, now today we're all talking about Mislav Orsić and this hat trick. Welcome to the world, my man. I didn't know who he was 2 weeks ago. <clears throat> Did you? Well, after a performance like that, I wouldn't be surprised if Daniel Levy and Mourinho are like, can we just get this guy? Because we need someone with some personality who's going to go and take this game by the scruff of the neck and score goals. So, fair play. Mislav Orsic, I really hope that this is a kickstarter for the career that you want because you are a baller, my man. Absolutely terrific. Now, Spurs were awful, as I said. And Mourinho looks dejected, distraught. I don't know. Uh, Out of ideas, maybe, but a lot of people are blaming the manager. Aren't you supposed to motivate players? Let me – these are pro players in a competition, in the second leg of a quarterfinal of a competition. You cannot just show up or in the round of 16 of a competition. You cannot show up and just be limp like that. You can't. You have to play. And then when you understand that you're in a tough situation – then big names, big guys, personalities have to step up. And no one did for Spurs yesterday. It was really, really, really weird. But it goes to show you, I'm really not sure if the mix, maybe Mourinho with the squad, if that's a good mix. I don't buy this idea that Mourinho is all of a sudden now not a good coach. But I have to say that just the basic simple endeavor from Spurs was bad. And they were beaten by a team that just wanted it more, and who had a guy with a huge touch of class. Keep in mind, also Slavia Prague, or um, sorry, Dinamo Zagreb. Their coach went to jail this past week for fraud. How about that? Want to add a little layer to the story and a cherry on top? So look, we'll see how this goes. Here's the draw for the next bit of it. Granada are playing against Man United. Uh, Granada survived against MOLDA. They 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 made it interesting, but they allowed it to get interesting. I should say. So Granada against Man United, Ajax against Roma, that's that's the tasty one. That's the one that looks the most fun. Dinamo Zagreb against Villarreal, and Arsenal against Slavia Prague. Uh, all right, fine, I'll make some picks. I, they feel totally arbitrary at this point because it, these matchups are so, so, so on a knife edge. Um, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I think that Man United are still going in the right direction. They will have the experience and just the efficiency to get past Granada, but it will be very difficult. This will be a difficult tie for them. Probably more challenging than getting past Milan last night. Ajax against Roma. Uh, Let's go Ajax. I don't know. I think it's because Ajax actually just have more experienced players. Uh, again, kind of like Man United, they've got Dusan Tadic, David Klassen. There are guys in that team who were in that Champions League run that they had that ended at the semifinals at the hands of Spurs. Roma are kind of a team that's been punching above their weight all season, and they they are a very good side. They're good, but they're also just playing very well, and I'm not really, really sure that, that they're going to have all the pieces to get past Ajax. Ajax disposed of Lille in a very professional way, who I think are... Pretty much just as good as Roma, so got to go with Ajax, Vireal, Dinamo Zagreb. You know what, Vireal are great. I would have picked them no all day, but after what Mislav Orsic did, you know what? I'm on. I'm going Orsic. I'm going Dinamo Zagreb to to find a way to get to the final and to really cause an upset here. Arsenal, Slavia Prague. You know what, Slavia Prague. Let's. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with them again because I'm gonna go with them this time because. I didn't think they'd get past Leicester. I didn't think they'd get past Rangers. Now they have the chance to depose of yet another British team. You know what? I feel like I'd be stupid to not side with them on this one because of the way they're playing, what they're doing. Really, really, really great. Really impressive. All right. I just want to close with one final thing. The England squad for the upcoming friendlies was announced. And, and look, I, I, lots of international teams were announced. I'm not really necessarily focused on England for any reason other than the fact that Trent Alexander-Arnold was not included in the squad and people are losing their minds. Okay. When Liverpool won the title, and then over the course of the years that they've been doing it, everything's been smooth sailing for him. From the day he got his debut and when, when he scored, and then he started getting his free kick goals, and then everything that has come, everything has been so beautifully perfect for him and he's earned everything he's gotten he's great I mean he's a fantastic player don't get me wrong last season when Chelsea went to Anfield and lost 5-3 one thing stuck out to me and that was you know this game could have gone either way but if Chelsea hadn't been a little unlucky in some of the goals they conceded They might have won this game because they would have targeted Trent Alexander-Arnold and rip him apart. Callum Hudson-Odoi and Christian Pulisic turned him inside out multiple times in that game. And I kept saying to people, I was like, look, he's a great footballer. He's absolutely terrific. I think he's more of a winger or a midfielder. But I don't think he's an outside back. And he does. He is in Klopp's system. I get this. He's a very good wing back, but he's not quite an outside back. Look, call me a biased Chelsea fan, but I've said for a while I think Reece James has a higher ceiling as an outside defender than Trent Alexander-Arnold. I think in three, four years, no one will be saying Trent should start at right back over Reece James. I, I really don't think so. On top of that, you've got Aaron wan who's in the mix. James Justin came out of absolutely nowhere this year to be a real genuine contender. If Tariq Lamptey hadn't gotten injured, we'd all be wondering, well, maybe he deserves a shot. Ben Godfrey. I mean, there's a lot of players in that back line. And so if you're a Trent Alexander-Arnold fan and you're disappointed that he didn't get brought in the squad, okay, I get it. But do look around and let's be clear. His form, which Gareth Southgate is addressed exactly, his form has not been good. It's been pretty bad 1v1 defending, pretty bad positional defending as part of your back four. And it's led to a lot of problems, and people have noticed it because Liverpool are not winning the games. When they were winning the games and maybe, you know, chances would come from his side, no one seemed to care. Everyone was like, well, he goes forward, so obviously something's going to happen on his side. I think now we're, we're getting a real understanding of seeing the peaks and valleys of what it's like to be a pro. You do really, really well your first two, three years – Now you go through some tough parts and you realize you're not the only one. I think a lot of people just assumed Trent was the only one. He would be England's right back for a decade, people were saying. Well, now that's starting to look like a little bit of a weird comment. Tell me you wouldn't trust Reece James at right back over Trent Alexander-Arnold against a top-level team. You can, but it's not my opinion. All right, everybody. I really appreciate it. Uh, Thanks for stopping by. It's a crazy week of football. And one other thing I want to mention here. I just did a little interview with Brendan Griffiths from In the Eleven Pod. If you have not listened to his podcast, I truly recommend it. It's great. He's a young guy trying to follow his dream of becoming a professional footballer, getting a professional contract. And the beautiful thing that he does is he's got his podcast on the side that helps to... Not only get his thoughts and feelings out there, but it also is a really, really good piece of inspiration and information for anyone else looking to do that. And so, uh, definitely something I'm going to recommend to the players that I coach. And hey, have a ch- check it out. We have a fun little conversation uh, about a bunch of different things, social things, about what it's like to be an American footballer in Europe, especially at this current juncture. And I think it'll be a really nice episode. So we'll hit you with a twofer. I'll try and get both those out today. And uh, yeah, everyone enjoy your Friday and enjoy your weekend. I'll be back in probably Monday. I'm going to go spend a little bit of time off grid at my little cabin down in Southern Colorado with my girlfriend. So we're going to tune out for a couple days. In the meantime, everybody, love your weekend. Love your football. Enjoy your time. And we will see each other next week. This is Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. Have a great day.